Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files automatically and continually. Carbonite is the better backup plan. You can try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWIP, Derek Story and Thomas Hawk join me to discuss Nikon's newest DSLR, the D7100. Plus, we dive into droneography or the idea of doing aerial photography with drones or quadcopters. And is Flickr finally back? Thomas Hawk and Derek both think so absolutely plus an interview with mr aaron mailer on his experiences with dronography it's wednesday february 27th 2013 and this is twip welcome back to twip i am your host frederick van johnson today on the show we're going to be diving into a number of topics i'm just going to read down the list here some pretty cool stuff, which I promise you, listeners, we are going to deviate from, and we're not going to get to everything on this list <laughs> because there's some other stuff that's yeah. not on the list that I want to go to. And as host, I'm going to uh, I'm going to exercise that that power. So the first thing is Nikon releasing the new D7100, which I'm a little upset about because I just have D7000. Um, we're going to be talking about droneography. If you're not familiar with that, is but that's photography with these remote control quadcopters and GoPros and that sort of thing. And uh, we're going to be talking about NASCAR a little bit and uh, licensing images that happen at public events like that. Plus, for the folks that are going to be listening to this in the podcast uh, MP3 file, there'll be an interview with Mr. Aaron Mailer about his experiences with the Phantom Quadcopter GoPro Hero 3 combination thing, which is really awesome. It's actually on YouTube right now if you want to go look that up. So joining me to discuss all of this stuff and more are Mr. Thomas Hawk and Mr. Derek Story. Hey, guys. Yo. It is good to have both of you guys. I feel like it, the powerhouse show is going on right now. Derek, <laughs> let's, let's start with you, Derek, uh, since you're, you know, we, I haven't talked to both of you guys in forever, so this is arbitrary. What have you been up to, Derek? I know you've been doing workshops and traveling. What's the deal? Actually, I've been uh, writing lately, so I just uh, finished a book. Uh, what? I've, yeah, yeah, iPad for digital photographers. It's uh, it was a blast. Uh, so we're just uh, reviewing the proofs right now. It's going to go to press here in another week. Okay, so this is a this is a physical dead tree book. Both, both. Okay, so it's going to be is it will it be an iBook or? Yeah, yeah well, um, I think Wiley does. Uh, I think they do Amazon on, okay. on their books, but uh, and I think they have their own thing too. But it'll oh, be uh, cool. both electronic. Yeah, I mean you'll be able to read it on your iPad. So, I, 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 yeah, that would yeah. probably be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be paper, too. I mean, I still like doing the paper books, too. That's funny, because I've been hearing a trend from a lot of authors that are saying that they're done with paper, they're going to be going digital and apps, and, you know, who is it? Yeah. Rick Salmon was saying that he's done after writing, what, what a million books? He's only yeah, going to do apps yeah. from now on? What do, yeah. what do you think about that? Is that a valid argument, or...? Obviously well, not if you're doing a paper book. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on you know where your where your interests are. I I like the digital stuff for sure, obviously, but yeah. uh, I like doing a paper book too. I mean, there's something about a paper book that's sort of in my DNA. So yeah. I, I I like both. I like both. All right. Well, cool. Well, welcome yeah, back yeah. to the show, man. Thanks. 
All right. Also joining me is Mr. Thomas Hawk. If you haven't heard of his name, then you're, I don't know who you are, but. <laughs> How are you? Mr. Hawk, welcome, welcome back. It is good to see you. You're looking well. Always a pleasure, my friend. Always, always good to see you. And uh, you're looking well as well. Hey, you know, I'm riding my bike. I'm, uh, you know, drinking a lot of water and sleeping a lot. So it's good. All right. All right. Well, I, that's, gonna... that's the trifecta of, of staying young. Well, I might be sleeping less than you, and I'm drinking gin. So we'll uh, see how that goes. Hey, look at that. Cheers. Screwdriver right there. Cheers. <laughs> Derek, what's the matter with you? Come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Coke Zero. Yeah. That's all right. I love it. Just put a little rum in there. You'll be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mr. Hawk, what have you been up to? I know you've been running around the globe and kind of. Uh, yeah, I've just been running around, taking a lot of pictures, processing a lot of pictures. Uh, uh, weekend before last, I was down in Phoenix, Mesa, and shot down there for five days and got some really cool stuff. And uh, a couple of weeks before that, I was in New York and spent a lot of time this time shooting outside of Manhattan. So, I shot a lot of Brooklyn and Queens and a lot of other areas I hadn't been into. No, okay. So I want to. We haven't talked in forever, and I remember, yeah. you know, your 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 life plan was to get a certain number of shots. Yeah. Like before you die, right? right. You wanna, like, where are you on that plan, and what was that? What was the number? Was it like a million, two million? Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to do, I want to publish a million photographs before I die. A million photographs that I'm proud of, that are fine art photographs that I'm done, that I process. Not just a million shutter clicks. I mean, yeah. Yeah, because you could do that in one day almost. Yeah. Right, I've already done that. I've already taken yeah. a million shutter clicks. But uh, finished photographs. So uh, I'm using Flickr as my primary place where I'm storing my online online archive, and I'm approaching 80,000 on Flickr now. So I've got about 80,000 photographs up there. I've got another maybe 22,000 or so photos that are completely finished, done, ready to go, ready to publish. And every day I upload you know, 30 more to Flickr. Uh, right wow. now, that pace is too slow. It, it won't get me to a million unless I'm going to live to like 120. So Ugh. I'm going to pick it up later in life, though. I'm uh, three years behind on processing. I've got a day job. I've got four young kids. So I'm going to start, you know, I'm, I'm slowly ramping up. So Wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. You've been traveling around. You have a life goal of shooting a million shots. And you made four people? And <laughs> yes. I've got four little kids that are great. I love more than... Anybody in the world, they're great kids. But that that is amazing. So okay, before we before we jump into, that, I want to get into that yes. Nikon story first. Before we jump in for both of you guys, this is an amazing opportunity to find out from someone who's like throttling the 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 idea of processing daily to the max. How do you do that? You know how do you, how do you how do you process thirty photos? To the, and I've seen your work, and every shot is great. So how do you process 30 photos to that level, share them, get them out there, then you know, bring home the bacon, fry it up in the pan, and play with your kids at the same yeah. time? It's, it's hard. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, it is stressful sometimes. And, um, but you know, for a long time, you know, I was shooting every day. And mm -hmm. so I'd, I'd make time every single day. I'd take an hour. I'd go shoot. I'd walk around. I'm doing a little bit less of that now, and I'm doing more of these sort of intense long weekends. Like I spent okay. five days in Phoenix, I spent five days in New York. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm, you know, trying to do, you know, if I can, it'd be great to do a trip a month, you know, one of these sort of five days intensive. And I just, you know, I get up for sunrise and I'm there at midnight, you know, before I go to bed and I just shoot, 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 shoot all day long. And I'll capture, you know, three, four, 5,000 frames that day. And um, <clears throat> then I've been coming home and then I'll, 
spent a lot of my weekend times just to, all weekend long, just processing, processing, processing nights. Yeah. Uh, my goal is each week I want to process about 400 photos. Wow. So That's... some of it, you know, it, it, you do it when you can, you find time and, um, but so this, this is just, this is kind of like, you know, some people are like, when I have time, I'm going to watch an episode of the walking dead. Thomas is like, when I have time, I'm going to process two or, you know, 34 photos. Right. Right. Yeah. What's TV? I don't watch TV. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually, I want to watch that show. The walking dead. I've heard it's good, but you gotta, you gotta watch it. Uh, uh, Derek, Derek, what about you? Like, you know, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're not throttling your camera as much as Thomas is, but what, what's your <laughs> flow? What's your flow? And are you, do you have a threshold of images that you'd like to get out into the metaverse every week? No. No, I mean, uh, my flow is a mix of stuff that I need to do for what I'm working on, you know, articles or books or the digital story, you know, this uh, everyday stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that I do try to do, though, is take one creative shot a day. That, okay. you know, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, uh, I want to take one shot a day that's just for photography. Now, does so, it matter what you shoot it with? Does it have to be with a DSLR or can it be oh, with your no. iPhone? Oh, it'd be with my iPhone. Yeah, okay. it'd okay. be with the OMD. It can be with, you know, whatever I have you know, at the moment. So in fact, uh, I'm, I'm using uh, flash air cards in my, uh, my other camera. So, you know, I can, they go right over to my iPhone or my iPad right away. Yeah. Know. Wow. But, flash, but, flash air cards. Who, you know, who's making uh, those? Toshiba. Oh, really? I haven't heard yeah. of those. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I should get the little box so we can put it up on the air. Uh, it, it creates its own Wi-Fi access point. So it just basically broadcasts, and then so you don't need anything fancy. You could uh, all you do is just log on to it, and then uh, you could download your pictures through a browser, or you could use a iOS app or whatever you want. No, is this is this? I mean, is this analogous to say an iFi or that kind of thing, or is it different? It, well, it's easier because uh, iFi makes you go through its service, or mm -hmm. you have to set up an ad hoc. And this, it literally sets up a, an access point. So, you know, you'll have all of your networks right there, right? That, you know, your home network, Starbucks, whatever. Yeah. And, and you'll have your, your pictures will be on a network, you know, and wow. you, just, you just log in and, and then uh, grab what you want. You only grab what you want. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm like the TWIB listeners are right now are like, what, what's that called again and how can I find it? <laughs> we should make it the – I'll change my uh, pick of the week to that. Okay, all right, add it. You can have two picks of the week. How about that? <laughs> all right, all right. We'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's the Toshiba Flash Air card, and they're okay. like 45 50 bucks for uh, wow. 8 gigabytes. Every time we talk, I buy something new. Whether it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether it's this video light that I'm using to light me is because of you. Okay. <laughs> it's like every time I talk to Derek, I buy something new. Like that's why because you're so much lit better than I am. You have this fancy lights. Because <laughs> we're using Derek. What is the video light that we're using? <laughs> uh, we're using the low. Are you using the low? Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. This thing's cool, really isn't good. it? I better, maybe I should flip this lamp around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There we go. Thomas, I don't know if you heard, but yeah. photography loves light. Yeah. <laughs> and, and video loves light even more, right? Yeah, especially these cheap oh, yeah. webcams, yeah. they love light. Yeah. They love light. So let, yeah. let's, uh, let's, let's segue. Light. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at, at least it's classy. See, ours isn't that classy. Here. There we go. All right, let's segue into this Nikon story. So Nikon has released a D7100 DSLR. Let me run through some of the specs of this thing. Um, so it's DX, so, and it's a, they call it, they're calling it an HD DSLR. It's 24.1 megapixels, 6 frames a second, 51 focus points. Um, the ISO range is 100 to 6400. Built-in HDR, 
which was interesting, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in here. Like, they, it looks like it's tailor-made for video. One of the cool things in here is it's uh, app-compatible, they're saying. So with a wireless adapter, it'll allow you to control the, the camera and live view from an iOS device or an Android phone, kind of like what the GoPro Hero 3 allows, right? So really interesting stuff in here. What I wanted to put to you guys is, is this... Like, Thomas, I'll throw it to you first. Is this a camera? I know you're Canon. I think you're still Canon. But is is this a camera where people that have purchased a 7000 or even on a previous camera, I'm speaking about me, uh, (laughs) should should Because on the shelf back there is a D7100 or D7000. I'm like, okay, should I go get this thing now? Or is this, and I have a GoPro. So do I really need this? I don't know. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's just like they copied the uh, 5D Mark III, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah. A lot of it's it's sort of parody there, right? right. But if someone if someone has it's a camera be a that's lot cheaper, isn't it? Isn't it going to sell for? Isn't it like sixteen hundred or something? It's going to sell it, for. It is. Let me see if we have that in the notes. Yeah, that's I think what, it's somewhere in that range. Yeah, well, that's with the lens. That's with the lens. With oh, a lens. lens. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah, I mean, if you're a Nikon shooter, it sounds like a really good deal. I mean, it's it's it, to me. I mean, a lot of those features, just looking at it, remind me. It seems very comparable to the 5D Mark III, which is a lot more, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you know, it's a more economical version. I I could see. I mean, that's a pretty good price point for uh, a lot of shooters out there. I think, and it's pretty. You know, it seems like a pretty good camera. Pretty. I mean, if you're a Nikon shooter and. Uh, uh, you know, Nikon's you know generally a little bit more money than that. I I, I think I don't know. You yeah. tell me, you're a Nikon. Yeah, shooter. yeah, they are. They they generally are a little bit more pricey, but you get what you pay for, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but that's just me as a Nikon guy. I don't know what I was hoping that you were going to say, Thomas. Was no, yeah. you don't need to get that. Stick with your D seven thousand. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> I well, you're I'm, not you're not helping out my bank account here. Come on. Yeah, well, it, it's not it's not full frame. So it's not. It's a DX, right? right. So DX, DX is a crap frame. Yeah. I don't know, Derek. What about you? Are you are you shooting Canon or Nikon? Uh, I shoot Canon and uh, Olympus uh, Micro Four Thirds. Okay, so, um, so then I'll, I will put the question to you then. If someone, we're we're kind of moving in this direction of there's this this sort of fervor building up about Micro Four Thirds replacing the DSLR. <laughs> Nikon releases the seventy one hundred with all these whiz bang features on it and everything. If someone's right, on the right. fence right now and they're like, you know what, I need to buy a new camera. It's time for me to upgrade. I'm thinking about this Micro Four Thirds thing, but Nikon comes out with this. Should they split off and go Micro Four Thirds or jump into DSLR? You know, that's a tough question. Uh, You know, what I did was, uh, you know, I still have my 5D Mark II and shit with it all the time. I love it. But uh, I, you know, I'm shooting probably more and more with with the Olympus OMD. Hmm. And uh, just because you put a grip on that thing and you put a couple nice prime lenses and, you know, you got the Sony sensor and off to the races you go. So, you know, it it just depends on what you like. Uh, I like having a smaller camera in my backpack and, uh, you know, a couple fast lenses. If if I were a Nikon shooter and if I hadn't upgraded it for a while, um, this would be the camera. I used to recommend uh, the D7000. In fact, you and I talked about that. Yeah, we did. I, I told. I think I told you to get it. You know? I and think you were, that's you were, why it's back there. Yeah, Thank you, you were. You were on the fence. <laughs> I think. I think it's. It's. Um, I think that series of cameras that Nikon makes is very good. 
It's a very yeah. good camera. So, so if you if you haven't upgraded in a while, I would I would definitely consider it. Yeah. So you didn't answer my question though, Derek. So if, <laughs> if I'm going to go in one direction or the other, I'm sitting on the fence, Micro Four Thirds or this DX Nikon. Which direction do I go? Where do I put my which I'm buy just, now button should I press on Amazon? Well, I I would buy uh, Micro Four Thirds. Really? Look at that. Would, yeah. All right, Hawk. What about you? So yeah, you, I mean, man, I'd love DSLRs, man. I I don't know. That's just me. I you know I I think the Canon 5D Mark III is the best camera I've ever shot with. And, uh, uh, this seems you know seems sort of comparable to that. It's not full frame. That is a big thing. You know, it's that's an important distinction. But uh, no, I you know I I <clears throat> played around with the Micro Four Thirds. You know I, don't, I you know I don't like them enough. I mean I understand the form factor and I get that, but I don't mind a big heavy camera and I'd rather have the extra firepower. Really? Okay. So even though like so a lot of the situations you get into, having that DSLR is a liability, right? And yeah, of ha- having a smaller camera would allow you just be, you know, Thomas the photo- Thomas the tourist instead of Thomas the photographer. Oh, I like that, Thomas the tourist. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, mean, I totally get the appeal of that. And you know, uh, as one who's had in in you know numerous encounters with security guards or police or everybody yeah. else over this big huge giant camera that I'm holding. Uh, I mean, certainly the micro four thirds are much less threatening and formidable and all of that. And you could sneak them into concerts and do, you know, like here, here's a hypothetical. So you, you remember a couple of years ago, you remember your adventures in the San Francisco MoMA and yeah, right. You remember all that, that, yeah, that fiasco that happened there? Yeah. If you could go back in time and swap out the DSLR you were using for a micro four thirds camera, do you think that whatever that the, the individual, you know, right. would have still gone off on you like you did? No, probably not at all. No, I mean, p- people with DSLRs, their viewed is threatening for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And, yeah, because you're uh, a pro. Ooh, right. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but still, I mean, you know, I like. I like that extra firepower, you know. I, I mean, for me personally, now I'm not an icon guy, I'm a Canon guy, but mm-hmm. it all comes down to the lenses, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and, of course. Yeah. Know, the, the 135 f2 is the most amazing lens in the world, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are better lenses. I just haven't shot them, but mm-hmm. you know, as far as I'm concerned, that lens is just the, what I can get out of it, and how I can push it. Uh, it's just amazing, and I can't imagine that. You know, yes, I appreciate the form factor, but I can't imagine not having all of these lenses, and not just that. I mean, the fisheye, the eight to fifteen fisheye on Canon, the fourteen ult, you know, the uh, twenty four, the fifty f one two. I mean, I love all those lenses, and I just can't imagine working with a system where I didn't have those lenses. Yeah. Now, when you're when you're out and about, and you're you know on one of the <clears throat> one of your photo adventures, yeah. What what do you normally shoot with? Do you do you are you the guy that's swapping lenses every five seconds, or you do you pick a lens at the beginning of the day, and that's what you're going to shoot with all day? Uh yeah, I do swap lenses quite a bit. You know, I probably make because uh, I'm shooting a primarily primes. I'm shooting almost everything primes, and mm-hmm. so um, you know during a typical day, if I'm out and about traveling, I might change lenses forty times. Wow, you know, forty times! Wow, oh. which is probably horrible. What, what's your, what's your, what's your? Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, what, what's your strategy for mitigating dust and and sensor uh, corruption? You know, I'm a Canon CPS Platinum guy, and so they give you five free cleanings a year as part yeah. of that deal. And so I just, I just, I don't even screw with it. I just send it back to Canon. They give you expedited service. I send it on Monday. It's back before the weekend. So love it. Uh, yeah, it's a great Canon C. By the way, if anybody's not Canon CPS, man, that's a great deal and. Uh, if you if you buy enough of their stuff, you qualify for platinum, and I think it's five hundred bucks a year, and they just they just treat you like gold, and yeah, so all that. Hey, by the way, I put a note in the uh, group chat too there for you. 
Oh, okay. All right. Let me take a look there. Um, Derek, while I'm looking at that, so what about you? Like when you go out and shoot, you know, are you, are you the guy that like, like say you're doing one of your workshops, are mm-hmm. you, when in, in your instructing, do you stick with one sort of prime lens all day or are you the swap out guys, you know, swapping out lens 40 times a day guy? Well, my favorite way to do is have two bodies, uh, two lenses, and then probably another two lenses in my bag. I don't like to swap that much. I'd, I'd rather have one lens on one body and the other lens on the other, and uh, then to switch cameras back and forth. And, you know, that's just something I started doing way back when I was doing weddings. And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, but, uh, but I usually only use three, four lenses. When I walk out the door, I'm usually thinking I'm going to need this lens, that lens, this lens, and uh, usually only about three or four lenses. Wow. A couple primes and a couple zooms usually. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the? Are you? What are those primes and zooms that you have in the bag? Is it fifty, fifty one two, one four, and twenty four to seventy, and the seventy to two hundred, right? Uh, twenty four to one hundred five and seventy to two hundred. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I like the. I like the. I like the twenty four to one hundred five. I like that little bit extra reach. You I know, love it. So you know, so I go with that, and I don't mind the f four on that one. So um, yeah, I had two eight on the seventy to two hundred. And Thomas, you're 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 walking around with an airport roller bag of lenses behind you. <laughs> I've got a, I've got one of those giant low pro bags that you know gets bigger and bigger every year. But no, I pretty much <clears throat> everywhere I go, I keep my uh, 14 millimeter, the eight to 15 fish eye, the 24 L, the 51 L, the 100 millimeter f 28 L macro, uh, the 135 f2 and Sometimes I take out, I take the seventy two hundred out. Sometimes I take, uh, you know, some other lenses as well. But but basically, I carry those with me everywhere I go. But how do you, how do you make that choice? I, I get the feeling like like what I have in my mind, Thomas, is when you're on one of your adventures and you're getting ready to go out, I, that eighteen music is playing in the background as you build the <laughs> kit that you're gonna take, <laughs> that you're gonna take with you, and you're like suiting up and this lens and this strobe and this tripod. Is that is that the way it goes? Or yeah, do you just... I mean, I yeah, I get all the gear and then I just take it with me. And you know, I I do keep the one thirty five on more than any other lens. That's probably on seventy percent of the time on the body. Yeah. But you know, I'll shoot that. And I was in uh, Phoenix. I went to the Phoenix Art Museum, and they had this really cool little room that had these little fireflies and lights and dark and. But you know, then I you know swap it off and throw on the eight to fifteen fish eye and set it on the floor and there's reflections and so I just you know I just whatever whatever it calls for you know if it if you if you need whatever you need you just quick throw down the backpack zip it open pop on something else pop off something else and um, you know go as fast as you can. Yeah, see, there's and we did a we did a show. I, I think it was maybe even a couple of years ago. I can't believe we've been around that long. But we did a show where we were talking specifically about how you switch lenses. Yeah, you know, what's what's the best ways? Because some people say when you switch lenses, hold your camera so it's facing down, and then switch it really quick, or do it in the bag, or put it under your shirt. What, what do, you, do you have any, Derek? Do you have any tips and tricks on on how you switch lenses to? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, you you don't hold the camera up. <laughs> if the wind is blowing this way, hold yeah. towards the wind. <laughs> I can tell you that part. But the the trick is uh, blow off the back of the lens before you mount it. So just do that every time. So like with so, your with your breath, just blow it off. No, no, not with your with a bulb, with a bulb. Okay, okay. You, know, you gotta like be, you gotta specify. You gotta uh, like, <laughs> like a, a rocket blaster. With a okay. Rocket blaster. So yeah. it, it, because most of the time the dust will get in on the back of the lens, you know. So okay. just blow it off every time before you put it on, and just do it as habit, and um, you, you'll minimize the dust. 
And I know a lot of photographers are running and gunning, especially like wedding photographer, for example, mm -hmm. you know, and they'll have their bag and they'll have a bunch of lenses with no lens cap or back caps on the, <laughs> yeah. in there. And they're just switching out, you know, yeah. like, okay, I'll fix it. I'll fix it in Lightroom later if I get dust on there. Well, then, it, it's is what Thomas a, says, then. That's when you go platinum. I don't have lens backs or covers or lens caps on any, any of my lenses ever, man. They're just You don't? They're just they're, you're riding bareback yeah. all the time. Man. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> That's yeah. really so. When you go out, you're shooting no lens caps, no bear, no no back yeah. caps on there. You're just oh, man, it takes too much time. You know, I was I was out sometimes. So the other day, I was out with somebody, and they were like, you know, what do you you don't have lens caps? That's terrible. You know, what do you do if you get like a scratch on your lens or something like that? And I pulled out one of my lenses. It's got like nicks and scratches all over it. It doesn't matter. It still works. It, yeah. You know, it's you can't even tell. You're shooting. You know, you're shooting something far away. It's not in focus right there on the glass. And yeah. he asked me, "How do you clean your How do you clean your lens?" And I, you know, picked it up, took a big lick of it, and wiped it off on my Wipe it off on your shoulder sleeve. Yeah, right. That's, that's and it's, I don't know. I think people baby their gear too much, man. It's yeah. you know, and, and worst, worst, worst case scenario, right? So something, some artifact, something shows up on the photo. It, you're right. It's not like you can't fix it in post. I mean, right. it's not like you can't clone it out. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, ideally you would not. I mean, I hate, I hate it when I get one dust spot and it's on five thousand frames, and you know. But then on the other hand, just you know, just always shoot it f two or lower, and you're fine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting because yeah, you're right, and I'm guilty of it too. Because especially when you you spend all this money on this gear and this beautiful low pro camera bag to put it in, you know, you have a tendency to treat it like jewelry, right? It's, yeah, no. you want to make sure that it's you know it's it's a delicate piece of. I mean, you're dealing with delicate electronics, um, delicate optics, and all this kind of stuff that's precisionly designed to create images. And the knee-jerk reaction is to baby it and not bounce it around and make sure the caps are on and it's in its padded cell and all that. And you're not doing that. So you're just like, no. Thomas, you're just throwing it in the bag, go, shoot it. If it breaks, yeah. I'll fix it later. If it breaks, you send it to Canon, you get a 60% discount as a CPS Platinum. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've sent my 135 in there probably at least six times. My 14's going in next week. It's probably same time for the same problem, although they charged me for that and they didn't fix it. So I pissed I about that. that but. I love that. Derek, what about you? Are you are you a lens or, or gear babier guy? A foamy? No. Uh-uh. No, you're you. What about lens caps and back caps? Uh, I do put back caps on. I do, and I don't use uh, lens caps. I just have uh, I I keep filters on the front. You know, I just oh. keep multi-coated filters. I take them off if I don't if I'm not in a bad environment. Like if I'm in the studio, I don't have them on. But when I'm out bouncing around, I'd rather have the filter on so I can throw the. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard two things with filters. I've heard mm -hmm. people say that you spend all this money on this beautiful, precisionly yeah. tuned lens, and then you put a filter on it, and you know, which kind of negates some of that precision beauty of the lens itself. Yeah. And then other people say, well, it's worth it to at least have it on there in case you drop it. You know, I don't know. well, it, it gets people going. I mean, that's one of the topics you can get people going with. But you just you, you do a good filter, right? A multi-coated filter that's the same optical quality as the the glass on your front objective, yeah. and you're not really you're not losing anything really. So, uh, but I do take it off if I don't need it. If I'm not outside shooting in environment or worried about champagne at a you know an event or something, I'll take it off. Uh, yes. But I I don't I don't think it hurts stuff. I don't. A good a good filter. T Hawk, what about you? Are you are you filter or filter free? You know, I don't use any filters. I mean, I, well, I should take that back. I mean, there's obviously great 
times to use uh, you know a filter and mm. you know if you're doing long exposure photography or um, you know something like that uh, yeah I mean that makes sense you know I've got a big stopper and I use that thing to mm -hmm. you know if I want to crank out a five minute exposure right right uh, you know it helps but um, for a specific purpose yeah I'll use something like that but in general no I, I mean I don't care I don't care if my lens gets a nick in it if it gets champagne on it if you know whatever I mean I it's, you know, if it gets champagne, I give it a little lick, and it's done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, thousands of people are going to be licking their lenses because Thomas Hawk said that's what it's cool to do. Uh, I got oh, a couple of people are taking pictures of me and posted it online. It's a little embarrassing, but, uh, you know, no, I mean, I think, I just think, uh, you know, I don't know. That's just my philosophy. I mean, some people, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking good care of your gear. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just, you know, for me personally, if I'm going to make 40 lens changes, you know, I don't want to be bogged down by unscrewing back caps all the time. Right. Or, and it's a tool in the end. It's like a, a carpenter. He's not going to baby his hammer. He's going right. to use I mean, use the heck out of it. And then when it when it's broken, go get another one. Right. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, and also it's a time thing. You know, you've got two seconds to get a shot or something. The train is coming and you're on the track and you've got your 14 millimeter camera and you're ready to get lens and you've got to get it now. Mm -hmm. You don't want to screw around. You want to quick change lenses, get it done. Yeah, love that. I love that. See, all this stuff is good. Good advice. All right, let's uh, let's move on to story number two here. So we we're talking about the D seventy one hundred. The consensus is a great camera, and Derek is saying, "Don't get it. Go get a micro four thirds." And Thomas is saying, <laughs> DS "DSLRs rule and go get it." Yeah, right? yeah. So, yeah. so I'm netting out zero here. Right? You know, I say go get it. it. You know, if if Nikon is your thing, it's Seems like a perfectly good Nikon camera. I prefer full frame, but you know, uh, you know, I don't shoot Nikon, so I mean, I heartily endorse the Canon 5D Mark III. But that camera, if you're a Nikon shooter, it seems perfectly suitable to me. Yeah, yeah, good, good advice. Okay, so story number two is where do you guys stand on remote controlled photography, like drone? I know you guys have seen the show notes, and we have this this item in there for droneography. And for the folks that don't know about it, that's the idea of taking one of these. It's a kind of a movement now where people are taking these drones or basically remote-controlled helicopters with four rotors on them, strapping um, GoPros or other small cameras to the bottom of them, flying around and doing aerial, smooth aerial photography that wasn't possible before. So now you can do it with these things relatively inexpensively, like in the case of the Phantom, um, it was, I think it's like six or 700 bucks for you to get into this thing, which has GPS stabilization and positioning and wind compensation, yeah. and all this kind of crazy stuff built into the device. So Derek, what about you? Like you've seen this stuff. Is oh, this, yeah, yeah. and you're a geek. Does this kind yeah. of pull at your geek heartstrings a little bit that you want to get into this? Yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, the, the price for a rig is if you, if you were to rent a helicopter, it'd be about the same for, <laughs> for an afternoon shoot. You a know? real helicopter in the field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A real helicopter. So, I mean, you know, you're right. Uh, in terms of affordability, they're cool. Uh, I've been, I was buzzed by one, uh, not too long ago. It was, it was what? wild. We, yeah. I was, I was shooting, uh, Oh, it was in Germany and, and I was shooting at some castle, and and I and I heard this, zzz, and uh, you know they're they're fairly quiet, but they make that little bit of buzz. Yeah. And uh, one came, you know, kind of like you know how you have that instinct, like so you're gonna get picked up by a like a giant uh, flying dinosaur or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That thing, and it uh, and it buzzed me, and it, and it kind of shocked me. I have to tell you, it sort of shocked me a little bit. 
Wow. But I think they're cool. I love the shots. Love now, the would shot. you ever, would you, do you see you ever using one to incorporate into your shots or workshops or weddings or anything like that? I'd try to borrow one. I don't think I'd go full out and, and uh, you know, go buy a rig. and get, I mean, it, it, you know, it, these things, they become hobbies into themselves, mm-hmm. right? Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, I would definitely wouldn't mind borrowing one or renting one and, and going, especially if I had a, a shot in mind, especially if I had something I really wanted to do. Right. Yeah. Hawk, what about you? Are you, uh, you know, obviously you're a DSLR shooter, so you're not going to be, unless you're going to crank out, you know, 10 or 15, $20,000 for a really good drone, you're not going to be strapping your cannon onto the bottom of one of these things. No, no, I'm not, although I love it. I absolutely love seeing people do interesting, new, and creative things with photography. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's just absolutely awesome. And, um, you know, the more interesting ways people can make photographs and take photographs. I'm tempted to play around with that stuff. I just don't have any time. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, you, you're, yeah, you have zero time as it is, let alone, because right. these things require, require tinkering and right. you got to be yeah. into it. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go get this and play with it and then I'll be done with it. This is a commitment, right? Right, but there's so many really cool places I think you could use something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I've never shot Burning Man, but I think about something like that, like getting right. up on the top of those structures or, mm-hmm. um, boy, you know, I mean... Um, uh, I was thinking the Super Bowl, you know, it'd be great. <laughs> Super Bowl would be awesome. Yeah, any anywhere where there's a crowd where you could like look down on people or I mean yep. imagine I'm sure it'd be illegal as hell, but imagine you know getting one of these things up over the Golden Gate Bridge or something, you know? I know, I know, totally. Yeah, and that's it's funny you mention that cuz I did an interview with Aaron Mailer who's a, you know, part of Twip history. He's yeah. you know, he's part of the beginning there and uh he's heavy into drones now and he and I yesterday, just yesterday, sat down and did an interview where we were talking about the legalities around this stuff and you know not to give it away you know we're going to play the interview for the uh for the podcast a little bit later in the show but the the gist is reform or at least at least some legislate legislation around consumers and professionals and when we can use these right to kind of put a fine point on it is supposed to happen in, in the year 2015 right now we're in no man's land and if it's deemed in any way commercial when you're flying these things then you need to have a license and you can be fined and you know the men in black can come take your helicopter away and all that right. yeah. so I think yeah Catherine Chang down at Spugman told me that Baldy was going to get one of those oh really yeah he was he did a video thing shoot really nice video shoot when we went down and shot the Golden Gate Bridge the other day and I don't think he had it going yet, but apparently he's going to do a bunch of stuff with it. Oh, if, if anybody's going to do it, I could see him doing it. He's, he's it. a Mr. Experimenter. In fact, I could see him flying one off Treasure Island and yeah. shooting the city from mid-bay, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, now, yeah. there's so much potential. I mean, it's really exciting, I think. I mean, I think there's a lot you could do with it. And, um, you know, there's so many different places you could take it and do it. I, you know, I sh- now I'm starting to think maybe I had to look into this myself. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do both of you guys have GoPros, or are you still on the fence about those guys? No, no GoPro yet. I'm just too busy. You know, you know what? I mean, I've I have a bunch of film photographs that I took years ago. I took oh, a bike geez. ride across America when I was 15 and shot this slide film. So I bought this really expensive scanner that's supposed to be like great for scanning all this stuff. I bought yeah. it probably six months ago. I still haven't used it. Oh, ouch, Derek. Yeah, what about you? Are you? Time. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, it's a time thing. Well, you, Derek, are you? Uh, are you? Are you hero? Well, I don't do anything exciting enough for it. So, so you don't, <laughs> don't have one. You don't, I don't have surf one. or skydive or uh, I don't think I ride my bicycle fast enough. So uh, <laughs> it does sort of make you feel lame when you have one and you're not yeah. jumping on a plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> well, 
would be the impetus to do stuff. I know they have skydiving and hot air balloons in, right. in your area. Come on. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. But a GoPro on my evening walk, um, probably not. Not so much. Not so <laughs> no, much. Not so much. Derek, and here all this time, I thought you were a skydiver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really big shoot, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't let his flaming red microphone yeah. and headphones fool you there, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So the third thing that I want to talk about before we before we move into the uh, the picks of the week and all that stuff is the um, Flickr, and this is the perfect venue slash constituency to talk about Flickr with. Now, Thomas, I want to start with you. You have history with Flickr. It's kind of been a love hate roller coaster relationship over the past several years, um, and now I think you know, according to I mean, there's a blog post about you right now. I think it's on Flickr. Is yeah. it on Flickr? Yeah. So you're you're back in the lo- in the love side. So tell me, <laughs> tell, tell me where where is Flickr? Is it safe to go back in now? Or, or well, what? I tell you what, I mean, my history of Flickr goes way back. I mean, I I joined the year they started back in two thousand four. Yeah, yeah. They're super active on there ever since, and I'm I mean I'm on there every single day, and I publish photographs to Flickr. And uh, for a long time, I was quite critical of Flickr, and mm-hmm. primarily because once Yahoo bought them, they just didn't innovate. Mm-hmm. do anything it was just for it stagnated for years and years and years and i always saw the potential of Flickr, uh but i never they didn't do anything with it they just held on to it and you know i gotta say in the last year um you know in fact ever since marcus spearing's sort of taken over as product manager there uh it's a whole new game all of a sudden you know and and you know some people give credit to marissa meyer you know because she came there and then right after she came there that Flickr app came out for the iphone which is mm-hmm. Amazing, yeah. you know all their other mobile apps. Uh, frankly, you know, sucked before. <laughs> I mean, they were horrible. I mean, uh, and then all of a sudden, I mean, this this iPhone app that they've got out now though really is best of breed. It's as good as it gets. And you know, they were working on that before Marissa ever got there. But uh, I, you know, I think Marcus Spearing's doing a great job as a product manager right now. Um, you know, and it's not just the the technology and the innovation. I mean, that iPhone app is very cool. They've got a new justified layout for your contacts. They've got a new, uh, you could hover over a photo on the context view in this big mosaic window and just fade photos. It's super easy. Um, but they're, they're getting, I think, back into social. I mean, they're doing all these photo walks. They got a site up on meetup.org. You know, in the early, early days of Flickr, when I was involved, uh, you know, pretty actively, there was a vibrant San Francisco group. And, you yes. know, Stuart Butterfield would show up at the meetups and we'd all be down there south of market and people would go shoot and and then they just kind of died for years and I think Marcus is bringing that back we he, you know he's done a number of big meetups I you know he had like 70 people out at Sutro Baz last weekend a couple nice. weekends ago I was with them uh in Bernal Heights they probably had 100 people out there for that uh you know so they're they're back I think they've, they've kind of got their mojo back uh, but is it is it, mo- it, it it's great that they have their mojo back? But is it is it too little, too late? Because you've got right. I mean, you got you've got Facebook out there with the momentum that they have, and people sharing right. their images there. And then you've got Instagram, which is right. also Facebook, you know. And and the kids these days, I've spoken to some teenagers that are like, yeah, Facebook is over. It's all about Instagram these days, right. you know. And then there's of course Google Plus and five right. picks, and it goes on and on and on. Where and in my opinion. The the football was was flickers and they were running with it and these other guys saw them fumble and just took it and ran with it. Is it is it a football for them to take back and run with at this point? You know, 
who knows? It may it may be, and you're absolutely right. It may be too little, too late. I mean, uh, you know, before they started innovating, I wrote an article that got a lot of attention on the web called "Flickr is Dead." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, every time you call something dead, all of a sudden it riles people up. Of course, uh, of course, for some reason. Yeah. But you know, but just because they had gone nowhere, but you know, they, they've really, they've real, they're really working hard. Uh, Marissa Myers done a lot. She's promoting it. You know, they did, the, they redesigned the Yahoo homepage. And Flickr got a bunch of real estate on there. There's yeah, a big yeah. ad for the app, and there's so they're really pushing it. Um, I think she's very, very smart. I think she understands the importance of photography. It fits her criteria of being in the sort of daily thing that people do with their day. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so is it too little, too late? It, it might be. I mean, Instagram is pretty powerful. Um, I did think it was interesting when Instagram stumbled sort of on that terms of service thing. Totally. That Yahoo and Flickr immediately picked up on that and gave everybody three months free of pro. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was very, that was a very sort of savvy sort of opportunistic move that I wouldn't consider, you know, from Flickr, the old Flickr. Right. You know, they're right. Not that, they're not that on top of it, but yeah. you know, the new Flickr, uh, they jumped all over that and they got, you know, three months of free pro for everybody. And they, so I don't know. Is it too little? Flickr has a wonderful archive of images. They have the most, you know, I think the best highly organized library of images in the world. Uh, where does the, you know, the Obama, where does he post his pictures still? Flickr. Right, right. You know, or so his, team, of, his team does, right? <laughs> right, his team. Right, right, right. But right, you know, right. that's a very popular, it's a high prestige account, you know, the yeah. president of the United States. And yeah. so, you know, you look at what Flickr's doing, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not giving up on them yet. But yeah, I mean, Google, obviously, Google Photos and uh, I've done a ton. I mean, the Google Photos team is great, and a lot of photographers have flocked to Google. And Facebook, obviously, is the, the you know huge in that, and Instagram is is really the leader in a lot of ways. Uh, right, right. Hundred million users. So, so I don't know. I think time will tell. But I'm rooting for Flickr, and 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 I think they're doing all the right things now for the first time in a long time. So your prognosis is don't count Flickr out yet. No Derek, Derek, what about you? So, you know, considering everything we just said, Thomas and I, you know, Instagram, Facebook, 500 picks, all this, you know, all these players that are out here in the space now, is it, what can Flickr do? I mean, is it, is it time to count them out or are they, are they just, are they, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, or are they just, have they gone from being Flickr, the name synonymous with sharing images on the web to being just another service on the web? No, they're more than another service. They're they're definitely in the top tier. You know, the thing you have to remember about Flickr, I mean, I like Instagram too. I, I think it's fun and, and I like browsing it on my iPhone. But I think the quality of photography on Flickr is is better than you're going to see, definitely better than Facebook. Yeah. Um, uh, Not quite as good as 500 pics though, right? Well, no, but the quantity then, you know, uh, the archive of images is much bigger than 500 pics. Right, right. So, yeah. um, you know, it's in the top tier. And in uh, the Flickr app that Thomas was talking about, not only is it a good app, you know, for all the, for browsing, keeping up with the activity and stuff, it takes good pictures. It gets good images out of your iPhone. So yeah. when, you, when you take a shot with your iPhone with the Instagram, uh, that shot is mediocre that, you know, that you end up in. All you have to do is look at it on your MacBook Pro Retina display, and you could see how, how bad it really I is. I try to avoid that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. Stay on the iPhone. Whereas if you, um, if you shoot an image with the Flickr app and uh, look at it on your computer, it's, it's a nice picture. It's, nice. A, it's, a, okay. it's a good image. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going for it. I think the quality of the images and a lot of good photographers are still 
there. And then, um, you know, this huge library that Thomas is talking about, they're not now, I can say, I don't think they're going to, they're going to go anywhere. I think they're, I mean, anywhere down. I think they're going to continue to, uh, to hang in there and be one of the top sites. Love it. And, and I think good photographers are going to go there. Now, 14-year-olds, they're probably going to go to Instagram, right? It's, right. It's, but, um, but maybe... Yeah, yeah, the, 14-year-olds will be like, Flickr? Oh, yeah, that's what my dad used. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, <laughs> but you know, may, maybe later on they'll do both, right? Right, yeah. You know? You know, Sergey Seuss is in the for, is in the post on Google Plus right now, Frederick, and he makes a good point that Flickr still has better forums. You know, and I think yeah. as much as the groups at Flickr have their problems, yeah. uh, because I wish you could yeah. block people better in groups, and I wish there was things you could do with them. Uh, I still think the Flickr groups have a ton of potential, and I think the Flickr forums. Yeah, I, you know, and you know, Google has the communities now. Google Plus has communities. I don't think they're as good uh, in some ways as is, uh, is, is Flickr, you know, uh, groups. I think Google communities are great, and I run I run one myself. But mm-hmm. uh, Flickr still has a really good format with Flickr groups. And the other thing that I think Flickr's got going for it, it's kind of interesting because I find that I browse Flickr a lot more than a lot of other sites in some ways because I find more artistic-oriented photography there. And in a strange way, I think part of that is that Flickr allows nudity and Flickr allows, and, and I, you know, I'm, it's not that I just want to look at naked women all the time, mm-hmm. uh, but it brings, there's sort of an edge to it. There's an edginess. And I think mm-hmm. some of the artists say, well, you know, if I post this on Instagram or Facebook or Google, Google Plus, they don't allow this and I'm going to get censored and all this, they're going to take my photos down. And Flickr's with their sort of bifurcated system where, you know, if you, you know, categorize it properly and you, you know, label it as adult oriented or restricted. You can do whatever you want sort of thing. I, I just find, I just find that there's sort of an edgier artist. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you can go ahead and take that. So yeah. <laughs> one, one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you guys, you know, is in terms of Flickr, and I, I don't know if this is still the case because admittedly I haven't been over there a lot. I'm going to definitely go over there a lot after this, but was the whole with it what people were calling the flicker effect in terms of communities and the not so much disingenuous feedback but the just sort of over positivity you know so yeah. you know you you take a picture oops i took a picture yeah. of my shoe and you accidentally upload it and people say oh derek that was i love the composition i love you, what you did with the toe hairs on that that was amazing you know Instead of saying, dude, why the heck did you upload this crap to an online site? You know, they, they want to be overly positive and encouraging on Flickr, which in some ways is a detriment. Do, do you see that, Derek? Or- well, no, I know what you're talking about. And, and, and I've had, I have a Flickr group, too, for Digital Story yeah. uh, that I just love looking at the shots on there. We have a few thousand photographers that are doing great stuff. And you're right. There's a lot of pats on the back. Mm-hmm. But it's still not the like if you go on Instagram and a selfie uh, puts a, a portrait up, uh, you know she'll get uh, you know four thousand likes, boom, just yeah. like that. Right, you know, right. You know, so you know, and it's, it's just uh, it's just a picture, you know, in, in the bathroom or something. Yeah. So you know, I, I I get the overly positive feedback, but I still think it, it's operating at a higher level. You know, and I take my shirt off in the bathroom and do a selfie, and it only gets like four. <laughs> See, actually, I'm trying to keep the show out of the gutter. Come on. <laughs> I actually got negative likes. It was really embarrassing. 
<laughs> now, um, is that a, is that a metric for you guys? So, because both of you guys are really popular online, is like how much of how much of getting likes and plus ones and reshares and comments is part of driving what you do? Does that does that is that a metric behind how you gauge success, or is it just you know whatever? Thomas, I'll throw it to you first, since you, uh, you, I mean, you, I, have, I guess, you have a guess, gazillion people following you. Yeah, I mean, everybody likes to be appreciated, I guess. And I guess that's sort of the basis, if you look at sort of the psychology models behind some of these sites, I think. It's like they're almost like they've got psychologists all sitting in a back room saying, you know, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of like a rat and I'm like pecking at that red dot when the bell goes off and <laughs> another piece of food come out. And, yeah. But no, I don't, you know, as far as what I do, and I've thought about this because, I mean, there'd be certain types of photographs that I'll put up that are extremely popular and they do better than others. And, um, you know, f- dramatic photographs of the Golden Gate Bridge and overprocessed stuff. But, you know, I, I really find that I just do what I do. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it is, absolutely wonderful that we have social media and that we have this as an outlet and yeah. you know 20 years ago 30 years ago whatever you know some guy's a photographer and unless he knows the right curator at the moma or and he knows the right gallery owner you know his work's never seen you know maybe he wins third prize at the you know los angeles county fair on his you know photograph and nobody sees it and now, you know, anybody can publish. I mean, not just yeah. not just me. I mean, anybody. And, you know, one of the things that I like the most, I, I, I find it, I don't, I don't think it influences my photography really at all, what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I really love is I love that the kids can get an audience so quickly. Mm-hmm. And you can just watch. There's this uh, 18-year-old girl, Olivia B. on Flickr, and she's, like, publishing all this stuff and gets it out there. And all of a sudden, I mean, because I think a lot of the best ideas in art come from the kids. Yeah. You know, they come from these high school kids that are doing cutting edge and really interesting stuff. And, you know, in the past, you know, you had to spend 15 years networking to build an audience. And now, you know, it costs you nothing. Yeah. You, know, you get a digital camera. You don't even have to pay for film or developing. Although some of the film stuff's really cool too. The people are still doing kind of going back old school. Uh, but you just throw it out there online and, People like it and see it. So, you know, I, I'm a, such a huge fan of all of it. Um, so you know, how, do you, how do you decide, though? I mean, because we've, we've got, like we were mentioned, 500 picks. You've got Instagram. You've got Flickr right. now. You've got, you've got all these different services. How do you pick which horse to ride? I mean, like, Derek, how do, how do you pick which horse you're going you're gonna to focus on to kind of move the needle? What, well, I, the ones that I like the best. So for me, it's Flickr and Instagram. I, okay. I love those too. I, I still don't like the way Facebook does photos, you know, and uh, yeah. and I definitely don't like most of the photography that's on Facebook. Uh, I never warmed up. I've tried uh, uh, phot- photographically to Google Plus. I like it for other stuff, but um, you know, I just never really got into it there. So I, I just go with what I like, and I, I think kind of a little bit of what Thomas is saying is, is the same thing, which is. It's, it's the same as the rest of your photography. You know, you try to, our goal is to, to shoot what excites us and to hang out where places we like hanging out. So that's the way I go. I love it. All right, guys, before we continue with the show, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. And, you know, basically... Everyone knows how important it is to back up files, especially all the stuff we're talking about with your photos online and all that stuff. So Carbonite Online Backup backs up your files for you automatically and continually whenever you're connected to the Internet. So basically it's kind of a set-it-and-forget-it thing. And so when you're, when you're 
on your computer or your computer's dormant, it's going to pump up whatever changes happened to their cloud to make sure everything is cool. And if something happens and you need to access those, you can access your backed up file from any computer on your smartphone, on your iPad with their free Carbonite app. So, and it's unlimited backup space for 59 bucks a year. So if you run a small business or you're just a photographer with a metric ton of photos like some people on this show then, <laughs> then you know you, it pays to not have everything have everything centrally located at one place you want to have things off-site and located in the cloud so if something happens then you can reconstitute your photographic life so you can get a you can get a free trial just go over to carbonite.com use the offer code twip and they'll throw you two bonus months if you decide to buy it let's use the offer code twip at carbonite.com and use the offer code twip for two bonus months all right uh before we continue with the show want to jump into this interview that i foreshadowed earlier that i did with mr aaron mailer and we went in depth on drone technology and photography and basically how he is so he's basically got his toe in the water and is on the path. In fact, during the show, I've been getting text messages from him showing some new gear that he just got. <laughs> so, so he is definitely, you know, bit. He's been bitten by that radioactive uh, remote-controlled spider, and he is uh, he's jumping in both feet. So, give this interview a listen, and uh, I'd be happy to know what you guys think later in the uh, the comments for the show. Okay, a little something different on the show today. Um, Aaron Mailer has, was is a staple and and part of the this week in photo lore. And he was around in the beginning of yeah. when when Twip started, and uh, you know did a number of episodes before he got way too busy for us and went on to fame and fortune doing other things. And one of those other things on the hobby side has been getting involved in drone based photography some some call it dronography mm-hmm. so uh, and it's kind of infectious cuz i was in dc what was it last week or so last week yep. And uh, you and I were sitting down and you started telling telling me about this stuff and showing video and this kind of thing. And now I'm infected and I (laughs) I have to go get one of these drones. So in this in this interview, Aaron, I wanted to first welcome you back. But then I also want to I want to dive deep into Mm -hmm. dronography and what you're doing there and the pluses, the minuses, the legalities, as far as we can tell and -hmm. all that stuff. So first of all, welcome Welcome back. It's good Thank to talk you. to you. It's been way too long. I know. Yeah. I know. What's the matter with you? You need to be on the um, show more often. <laughs> we managed to meet up more outside the show than in it lately. So. I know, right? I know. It's okay. As long as we're hanging out. Cool. So uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about drones. So first of all, set the stage. Drones, especially in the context of Washington, D.C., are not a popular topic these days, right? No. So drones, as many Americans and people abroad associate them uh, they're used for death and destruction. These are remote-controlled UAVs, right, mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that people from a, on one side of the planet can fly on another side of the planet and drop bombs and do all sorts of destruction and all that. However, civilian, civilian uses of these things, which is what we're going to be talking about today, are benign mm-hmm. and fun, especially in the context of photography. So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about that. Let's talk, before we dive into it, let's just talk a little bit about just sort of the politics around drones and the technology that's there versus what you're using to do your photography. Okay. Um, uh, from a consumer standpoint, drones or, or UAVs, there's all kinds of terms that are being used, are becoming uh, incredibly accessible. 
Um, and one of the reasons it's happening is because of things like the iPhone and the Android phones. If you think about it, all the things that make a drone uh, dirt cheap now and capable of being very easy to fly are things like um, uh, solid-state gyros, compasses, accelerometers, things that there's several of in every iPhone, iPod Touch, Android device out there. Yeah. Um, your Wii controller, you know, all these types of things have these devices, and they've made them so incredibly inexpensive um, that they've gotten in the hands of really creative developers who've started to build uh, these, basically they're remote control, uh, quadrocopters, helicopters, you know, multi-rotor craft that are able to, uh, to hover in an incredibly steady manner because they use GPS, uh, you know, to get their positioning. Um, makes them a whole lot easier to fly, to say the least. So it, it's getting, like I said, a lot more accessible and a whole lot cheaper. Um, a few years ago, building anything that would fly in a similar manner was tens of thousands of dollars. And yeah. now you're talking about, uh, you can literally go buy little tiny, uh, quadrocopter craft on Amazon for about 35 bucks and fly them around your house and do, you know, flips and pirouettes and great routines with them. And, and, and essentially, know, essentially this is the same technology that's in, I mean, it's not the same military technology, but the basics are the same, right? Yeah, you're, you're conceptually about the same thing. If you're using a unit that's GPS controlled, that, that allows, um, for a couple of possibilities. Number one, um, in the case of the one that I'm using, the GPS allows for positioning, um, to make a hover very, very steady, to make it much easier to fly. Uh, so in, in its default mode, it is able to just hold its position within a, a variance of, of usually less than a meter, um, wow. except in really windy conditions. Um, so it's completely hands off the controls of that moment, and I'm getting a beautiful hover with it. Um, also, they use those for fail-safe modes called like a return-to-home mode. And what that does is if the uh, drone were to get out of range, you to lose uh, connectivity with it for some reason, batteries die in your controller, something like that. The concept is as soon as it loses contact with you or if you potentially summon it, um, it will uh, return to its starting location by GPS guidance. Uh, yeah. So usually what they do is they, they, they stop for a moment and determine whether they're going to regain contact. They rise to about 60 feet and then wait again, and then it flies a direct path back to where you started, That's cool. hovers again, and then sets itself down on the ground. Well, in, the, in, the, in the military, they have the concept of bingo fuel, right? Are you familiar <laughs> with that? It's when you know, it's the point of no return. Any, right. any, once, you, once you get to the bingo fuel point, you have to go back, or you're not going to have enough fuel to get back. Do these remote control vehicles understand when they're running out of battery so that they's like, oh, okay, this, this operator obviously doesn't know that I'm running out of battery. I better head back. I would certainly say it's possible. Um, the one I'm working with is more along the lines of giving me warnings when it's at about 80% okay. um, of usage. And then it's telling me, you know, get me out of the sky at this point because, you know, if too much uh, intense flight and it's going to drop out of the sky. So it will literally land itself wherever it is uh, when it gets uh, battery exceedingly low. Yeah. Um, so certainly there's telemetry information that can be sent back to us, you know, to on a, a higher end system that would say, I'm kind of at my limit. Um, I estimate I could return to home, you know, on remaining battery. So I certainly think that's possible, but I have to admit, it's not a feature I've seen yet. Yeah. Um, maybe, so. maybe in the, the, you know, the, the five figure right. remote control units. Okay. So I'm, as I, like I said, I've been bitten by this drone bug, right. And I've been researching and looking, which is, was the impetus of this interview. Um, but I remember, when I was a kid, I have two older brothers, and my oldest brother, Daryl, used mm -hmm. to build model airplanes all the time, like mm -hmm. these like big ones, right? I mean, 
And I remember, and I never, he, he was, he was the older brother that said, don't go in my room or I'm going to beat you up. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And he would also, you know, he was like meticulously building the control surfaces and, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they were all gas powered. And I remember, you know, he'd spent all months building these, making them perfect. And then, then came the day of flight and you take right. it out and hopefully it started. You put your little gas in there. Uh, it didn't start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you go fly it and you crash and then you go rebuild it. Right. So, exactly. so what, what has changed then? And we're, we're talking like 20 years ago so or more. What, what has changed then versus mm-hmm. now? Right. In terms of. The, that technology, aside from like gyros and all, you know, the, the technology on a chip. Uh, well, for one thing, um, all the craft I'm talking about uh, are battery operated. Mm-hmm. So you're not dealing with fuel and pumps and oil and you know, yeah. all the yeah. kind of noxious All that stuff. mess, yeah. yeah. And some people love that, I mean, particularly in helicopter models. But, um, but these are all electric flight or electric powered devices yep. um, and highly computer assisted. And in a lot of cases, incredibly easy to fly. I mean, it just uh, it just depends on the model that you're into. Um, that very plane you describe, I have one of those sitting up on my attic that's been sitting up there for years because, you know, again, very limited use of it, too easy to crash, <laughs> trouble, you know, too hard to repair. Yeah. You know, something a friend traded to me for something and I gave it a try briefly and it just didn't catch on as much as I wanted to get into it. But even then, my heart was more in helicopter flight. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, and aerial photography is something I've always, always wanted to be able to do. And it's just in in the last couple of years, it started to get accessible. And, and literally just a few weeks ago, I just said, you know, I, I came I across a particular product that just finally nailed it. And I said, I, I am going to get into this now. Well, let's let's talk about that. So photography, which is what this interview is about, right? So we set the stage. Technology has advanced incredibly over just the past couple of decades that now all this technology and much of the same technology that's found in military-capable drones is available to civilians to do some really cool photography mm-hmm. with, right? So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about where this, the state of the art today and what you're using to do some of the shots that you're doing. So what, what, what device did you settle on buying for your first foray into this stuff? To get into it... Um let me say, uh, this particular field is also one that is very, very, very heavy in kind of do-it-yourself, um, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. I mean, there's, there's an enormous community out there. There's developments happening every day. There's just neat new hardware and software and so on. So on that basis, if you love to get in and tinker and really build something from like the kit level up, you know, it's wide open playing field. Um, in my particular case, I got into it buying a, a pre-built system um, that just – it was really ready to go. It was a fantastic price. Um, it's it's getting really popular with photographers right now too. Uh, but on top of that, one of the reasons I was I found it compelling was uh, while it was pre-built, it's built on a completely standard set of components, and and the flight controller in it, which is kind of the brain behind its entire operation, is one of the most common ones that's used in all kinds of build-it-yourself projects. So I recognized it would be a quick way for me to get into the process very easily with something that's already built and tuned and ready to roll. Mm-hmm. But uh, I could even use pieces off of it on my own units later. It's an, it's immensely hackable. I mean, a lot of the things that uh, people are doing on on their builds themselves models can can be done with this model. I mean, I, I've seen. Well, let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Well, um, this one's called uh, it's called the DJI Phantom, and wow. DJI is a company that makes a, a lot of really neat uh, multi rotor uh, devices. And one of the things they make is, like I said, inside of here is um, a unit called this one's called the NASA M, mm-hmm. um, and the NASA is the flight controller, kind of the brain. And it's connected with a uh, GPS and a compass module as well that are tied in. So 
so inside of here, you've got uh, barometric altimeters, which give you, uh, you know, altitude relative to ground. You've got um, right here on the leg, you've got the digital compass that senses, you know, compass orientation. Mm -hmm. um, inside the top underneath in here is a GPS sensor, uh, very much like in, you know, your, your phone, iPhone or anything like that. And then also in that NASA are accelerometers and gyroscopes. And you put all those sensors together. And, uh, and that NASA is able to, uh, to figure out its exact location, maintain hover, um, make the entire flight process easier because you're not having to worry about nearly as many, uh, you know, factors in keeping it in the air. It pretty much keeps itself in the air and you get to spend a whole lot more time, you know, driving it, so to speak. Right. Flying right. So, yeah. So it's almost like, like commercial airliners these days. It's a lot of fly by wire stuff, right? Um, now, it, true of any um, a remote control aircraft like this, and this is the thing that was hard for me to get. Let's put it this way. When I was flying that plane I mentioned before, the reason it's so easy to crash it right off the bat is uh, when an object like that's flying away from you, its orientation is the way you're positioned and thinking. So mm -hmm. it flies away and you, you stick left, you know, you'll, you'll begin to bank left. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. Well, as soon as it's moved so many degrees in that direction and starts to turn – your mind has to adjust to the fact that you're always flying it as if you're the pilot inside it. So even if it's 90 degrees to you or coming towards you, your controls remain the same. So right. if it's coming towards you, your stick left makes it go right, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So you, you have to get used to very quickly that concept of, of kind of keeping your head in the aircraft and just reacting, you know, regardless of how it's oriented to you, mm -hmm. yep. to, to control it that way. Um, a neat thing about this is uh, that's the basic way that it flies, and it's really probably the best way to fly it. And, and you can get very accustomed to this in, in pretty short order when you're flying it. But it also has modes that will uh, change the way that it flies relative to you. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, if you flip it into that mode, the away, you know, forward and away, left and right become relative to your position to try and make that an easier, easier thing to fly. Um, I highly recommend that you kind of stick with the traditional model because it's a lot more versatile. But um, but so how, it's does, one of the, how does it know where you are? Does the controller itself has it have a GPS unit in there and it's transmitting data? This is the uh, the GPS takes a lock when you first take off, uh -huh. so it knows your home location, and then uh, relative to how it moves away from you uh, becomes kind of a home location or a, a, a pilot relative location, so to speak. So it kind of drops a pin when it takes off, yeah. But that orientation using the compass and all allows it to decide um, whether it's moving relative to you and its home location or whether you're moving things relative to the aircraft itself. So, okay. you know, different options. We're, we're kind of getting in the... I love it. Yeah, that's what I want to do. That. I, want to, I want to get deep and geeky. So. <laughs> so this thing weighs almost nothing. I mean, this is, it's really just a very, very light airframe. Um, you've got the four props and motors on the corners in yeah. here. And we're uh, all yeah. battery operated, right? The battery compartment here. Wonderful. Is these, uh, these big kind of heavy, what are called lipo cells. Yeah. And uh, this is what's called a 3S lipo. It's made of three cells inside. Looks like it, a stick of dynamite. <laughs> yeah. And uh, coincidentally, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, lipos do have a slight tendency toward being a stick of dynamite if they're damaged or punctured. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You probably don't want to do that then. <laughs> And is uh, is buying one of these things is called a lipo bag or lipo guard. Um, it's a type of like f uh, fiberglass mesh bag that you use to store and carry your batteries in it. Um, and you actually even charge them in here. You put them deep in the bag and you seal it shut with this Velcro while it's charging. 
just on the off chance that if there's been some damage to the battery or something malfunctions and it decides to literally catch fire and or explode, it's meant to uh, to kind of limit that. So. It won't it won't create a homeless person out of you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's wow. See, that's a lot of stuff to to keep in mind. So all that, so the the device is light, and one thing that you glossed over there on that on that is the camera on the front of it. <laughs> so there's a housing right there for a GoPro Hero. That's a Hero Three housing. If I got my housings right, right? Uh, they recommend um, or they recognize the fact that the Hero is an incredibly uh, common. And, and popular camera for doing all kinds of extreme sports and so on. It's also reasonably lightweight. So uh, there, the the Phantom actually comes with a standard mount on the bottom for uh, the entire Hero line. Mm-hmm. Uh, two and the three and all all use that same kind of three prong plastic mount. You know, you put the screw through here. Right. Um, it actually does come with a mount that's compatible with the Hero Two. Oh. So you okay. can put a naked Hero Two on here without its case. Um, that's a little bit large for the Hero 3, which is 25% smaller than the Hero 2 series was. So in that case, um, I put the actual Hero 2 case. Here's the, the camera itself, which is pretty small. Um, and, and I have to tell you, if you've gotten into Hero cameras, I had a Hero 2 for a long time. It's around here somewhere. But this Hero 3 is a tremendous step up on just about every single count. I mean, image quality is better. Resolution is tremendously better. Uh, uh, shooting speeds, frame rates, uh, wireless remote control of it, which is critical actually for what I'm doing here. Yes, yeah. So uh, all of that considered, you just screw the camera on the bottom. You know, you can apply a little bit of tilt here, exactly how you want it. So sometimes I have it going almost directly down, and mm-hmm. I keep it just a little tilted from being, uh, you know, uh, straight aligned with the landing gears here. And, so what are we looking at in terms of okay? So once you you've, you you bought the device, you have your GoPro Hero Three on there. You've you've become reasonably competent in flying. You've got your explosion suppressant bag for your batteries, <laughs> you know, and you're set and you're flying. What are you What are you shooting with this? And well, actually, before you even get into that, how long can you stay in the air with this thing? Um, with a a Phantom with no camera on it, with a with a good quality LiPo battery, is estimated about ten to fifteen minutes of flight time. Okay, and that's if you're not flying it like a crazy person, you know, just tremendous acceleration forward and back, and you're maybe not fighting a lot of wind. So that's under pretty good conditions. Realistically, I find I get eight to ten minutes with a camera mounted on it. Um, and for some reason around here in Central Virginia, for the last it seems like eighteen months, I swear we've seen more wind and windstorms. <laughs> Here than and I recall in my entire life. Um, and for people that live along the whole eastern seaboard, you'll remember last June when we had the Dureco, derecho, however that's pronounced, that massive windstorm. So yeah. not wind right now. Um, so it seems like every pretty day that we have to fly since I bought this, we've got 15 mile an hour gust. And uh, believe it or not, it holds its own pretty well in those conditions. Really, in 15 mile an hour gusts, is can it can still maintain a hover? Remarkably good job. I mean, it's not going to keep a rock-solid hover, but it will wear your battery down, which is kind of what I'm getting to, because when you're in the GPS mode and it's trying to maintain its location, any uh, gusts of wind that hit it, you'll hear the engines rev a little bit on it as it counters that and it tilts into the wind and, and repositions and holds. So it does a great job at that, but that's just all that much more abuse, you know, in terms of your battery time. Yeah. So. Ideally, a nice, still, calm day. Um, again, you're not going crazy with it in acrobatics or something like that. And uh, you could get 10 to 15 minutes out of the battery. 
Um, charge times, depending on your chargers and all, could take you an hour to charge the cell back up. Oh, okay, that's not too bad. It's really addictive. Uh, so you're going to go out and you're going to burn up those eight and ten minutes in no time flat, and then you're going to go in and cry while it charges for an hour. So I got to tell you, one of your first purchases is a pile of these batteries. <laughs> and keep them all in tandem so you can just keep cycling them in, yeah. There's things called parachargers. There's kits you can get that allow you to actually uh, chain all the batteries together so you can charge them all at once. So quarter of the time it takes me to do four batteries if I, if I put one of those kits on there. So it's on my to-do list is uh, to get a paracharger kit or paraboard as they call it. And yes, needless to say, as soon as you get into this hobby, there are a blue million things you're going to want to buy and do and it's going to mushroom on you really quickly. But that said... Just the craft itself is ready to fly out of the box, comes with a battery, comes with a charger, comes with a controller. You really could just get it, charge it up, and just start flying it within the first you know, hour that you have it, yeah. get a lot out of it. And then you're going to go online and you're going to start reading about things in the forums and talking to other guys and thinking of hacks and stuff you want to add. And yep, I know it. I know how that goes. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. So cost-wise, so entry level to just get the kit you know, like you just described. What are we looking at for that? And then nicely Aaron Mailer outfitted. What, what are we looking at? This is without the GoPro camera. Okay, so let's, let's put this in the framework of this particular model here. So mm-hmm. the D Phantom goes, I'd say, 675 700 so on. Uh, seems to be about the going rate online for one. And again, that's the complete kit that flies um, you know, out of the box and you're ready to go. Takes you 15 minutes to assemble it. Even comes with a, with a little wrench you need to do it. So Nice. Um, so that would get you into flying it. If you want to put a GoPro on the bottom, I mean, if you already got one, great. If you don't choose a GoPro two or three, I guess the three is available in like three editions now. So the camera is going to add two to $400 to it, depending on the model that you hang on there. Um, I guess you could put other types of cameras on, but you're going to have to fashion your own mount or find some way to, you know, make a GoPro mount work with it. Um, but uh, so it's it's mostly GoPro ready, and that seems to be what most people are using. Okay, and then and then uh, before we sort of wrap this up, I don't want to go too long in this, but what what are we looking at in terms of the the kind of things? Or you particularly, what are you shooting with this thing? Are you you know is it just shots at your house, or are there real commercial jobs? Still getting used to it. Um, again, I've only had it a couple of weeks, and I keep adding stuff to it constantly. Yeah. So, um, and I'm between work and the weather and travel and so on. You know, it's not like I can get out and fly constantly. Sure. Yep. I want to, um, but I've got uh, I, I've got a lot of scenery in my yard. That's for sure. And most of that's not because I'm trying to shoot this area so much. Is it's just I've, I've, there's a lot of space out here. Gives me a great place to fly and, and start getting a handle on it. Um, you'll find yourself being pretty timid with it to start with to say the least. Uh, you don't want to slam it into a tree and get stuck in a tree or ram it into the ground and break props or the frame or anything like that. So you'll find yourself being kind of gentle with it as you get a hang of it, or at least that's, I think, the smart thing to do. Um, after a while, you start getting kind of bold, though, and you get into a nice big open space, and, and there's nothing more fun than just throttling it up and just whipping out as far as you can go and not, you know, it'll become a dot in the distance at that point. Wow. So, but, but is there, is there, when, when it's a dot in the distance, I'd be afraid they're just going to keep going, and there goes my 700 bucks to the horizon. Well, if it gets out of, risk, out of range, the, the theory is that it's designed to bring itself back home. Theory. Uh, okay. I don't want theories with 700 bucks. <laughs> it's funny. It, it seems to be 
proven to work, but a lot of the experienced flyers online say don't tempt fate. You know, don't don't turn that off for the fun of it. Don't switch your controller off just to see it work. Yeah. You know, know that it's there. Hope it saves your butt someday if you get into it. But it's not something I really want to play with. And actually, I will mention, um, and I'm not going to hold it up because it's got all the personal information on it, but um, the first day I bought it, and based on some things I read online where people had had a malfunction or a problem, and instead of it coming home, it flew off and disappeared and goes God knows where. So uh, I, I do highly recommend that you put a nice, clear label on it that says, like, reward if found and has your name and number and stuff on it. Because if that thing does get away from you somewhere and someone else does pick it up, it's not a lot of good to them without you know some of the other pieces. So you hope an honest individual is going to pick it up and give you a call and yeah, and yeah. worth get it back so that and my gopro both actually have you know are clearly labeled reward if found you know just in case that horrible fly away were to happen someday good all right well let, let's let's end it on this um the legalities of this thing so which in a lot of ways are still it's kind of fuzzy which is scary for something like this right so look just to frame it uh, from the, the things that i've read so far and this this came in from a listener actually they were they were uh actually trying to warn us that there were you know it's illegal to fly these things in some areas over a certain altitude and there's a bunch of little fuzzy areas in the law about where and when you can fly this have you done any research on this or are you just a felon running around (laughs) and i've talked um the uh where i live my area here it's fairly rural um we don't have a lot of restrictions in that regard i know a lot of metropolitan areas already specifically have rules against uh flying drones the question is also going to become a debate between drones and what's just a, a remote control craft of any site, like right. planes and other helicopters that have been around for decades, actually. Right. So the use of drone is, is kind of a loaded phrase right now. And people think of exactly what you open the show with, you know, with describing of, of it being something that spies on people and surveillance and hellfire missiles and so on. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of us that are hoping certainly that there's not going to become this sudden drone fear and that there'll be uh, particularly – uh, terrible laws put into place or restrictions that really need not be there. Um, the same token, you do have to wonder as these craft become cheap and accessible and easy to fly, um, what's going to happen to our airspace? You know, around is, is everybody and his brother going to buy one and have fun and start flying them over the neighbor's house and you know over the highways and cause accidents? And so, there, so or in a in a flight path, which would be dangerous. Right? Really, some concerns. Um, the abilities of these devices pretty much fall very much in the FAA's uh, existing definition of what's legal for hobbyists to fly remote control planes and aircraft and so on. You're supposed to stay a few miles away from an airport. You're supposed to stay below a certain insanely high altitude. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of sensible guidelines that already apply that need not be altered for drones in particular. Um, but, again, you put a camera on it and you fly it around a neighborhood, you have privacy concerns that go with that mm-hmm. and so on. The other thing that we need to talk about, though, is um, uh, there is very definitely an FAA regulation against flying drones for photography for commercial purposes. And that, for a lot of us, is incredibly disappointing at the moment because there's, you know, as a photographer who's done freelance work and made money doing photography and video, you know, video work in the past, clearly I see this as a device that I would love to take out and, and add to commercial work that I do. Absolutely, yeah. At the moment, cannot do that. Um, 
the FAA clearly restricts that. Um, and it's not a drone-specific thing. It just has come to light, again, because these have become accessible and very prevalent. And I think it was real estate in California is one of the things that brought it to the forefront because a lot of guys that have built you know, much more capable drones than the one I'm showing you here you know, with, with higher-definition cameras and so on on them have been flying them professionally, particularly in the real estate market, to get beautiful views of high-end properties you know, to, to add to videos and websites and so on. And uh, a lot of that's come to a screeching halt. Um, mm-hmm. And ice of the of these real estate consortiums and, and agencies as well, because uh, the FAA has come down hard on a few people and have shut a number of businesses down completely for commercial use. Um, wow. For that's prone to change. Apparently, there's already been uh, a law signed last year um, in Congress, and Obama signed the, the law last year that is supposed to change a lot of the rules relating to drones to make things more accessible and more functional because of their potential mm-hmm. uh, for civilian use in a lot of ways. Uh, so they basically are compelling the FAA to change the guidelines and make things more accessible by September 30th of 2015. So we're a couple of years off um, if they drag it all the way out to the end before we may have a clear picture of exactly what we as individuals are allowed to do for commercial use of these uh, of these aircraft. So for right now, it's got to be a hobby. Um, that's fine with me. There's all kinds of personal projects I want to work sure. on. And this is something I've to do for years. You but. can build up your, get, get some airtime as a hobbyist and then ease into it. Because what I was thinking, one of the things that I thought would be a great use of this is, is weddings, right? Wedding photographers are always looking to get a different point of view on a wedding or, or wedding videographers as well. And imagine a nice outdoor wedding in a, like, on the coast of California and being able to do a flyby around it with a drone. That'd be amazing footage if you could do that. If you take it to that level, you know, do it carefully. Don't be a nuisance with it, and you better be skilled with it because the last thing you want to do is bring that thing crashing down in the middle of someone's wedding. That would be bad. That could, uh, that could, yeah, that would not be a pretty picture if that thing crashed into the bride, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a certain amount of danger involved in it, so certainly be careful if you do that. But uh, as the guidelines stand right now, if you are a professional wedding photographer and you were to do that and include that in what you sold them as a wedding package, you'd be violating. FAA regulations, you could be prone to being shut down and fined wow. so far. And so, <sighs> that uh, sucks. Commercial uh, photography and promotion. And the promotion part is what scares me or is the most gray area for me at the moment. And I, I would like more clarity on that as well. Um, am I able to shoot video with this or, or video that I use? Can I give it to someone free of charge to be used in something that they're doing? Probably not. I mean, the guess is that if they're producing something promotional and they use video I shot, that may fall in those guidelines as well, even though I didn't make a penny off of it. Neither did you know, the organization who was producing the video. So, so uh, for right now, I'd say play it safe and keep it a hobby. Make some creative stuff and share it on Vimeo and YouTube. But uh, you probably better not sell it. Yeah, 2015. Well, speaking of Vimeo and YouTube, uh, have you posted any... Uh, of your your sort of sporadic shots online that folks can go look at stuff i've posted and you've seen some of it is all password protected at the moment because to me i'm experimenting there's so much good stuff out there that other people have shot that i want to aspire to that level so i'm I'm not going to put my herky-jerky tests out there at the moment um the biggest thing uh that is is a real factor with small craft like this um is vibration Mm -hmm. um one of the things you want to do is what's called prop balancing. That's one of the simple things you can do off the bat. And for 20 some dollars, you can, you can again, here's more stuff you buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
little thing called the Dubro uh, prop balancer. And you, you stick the prop on this rod and it sits on this little device here with these bearings and spins and it allows you to see whether one side of the prop or the other has more weight to it, uh, which they almost always do out of the box. So you take the prop off and you just lightly sand it with some really fine sandpaper on the bottom and you put it back and you keep doing that until the prop sits level or holds any position on those bearings. Mm-hmm. For all four props, and you've taken a lot of vibration out of it. But the problem with the vibration is um, on things like a GoPro, you get what's called jello or rolling shutter effect. If you get too much vibration, your image actually gets this really weird waver to it because what's happening is the camera is vibrating faster than the image is being taken off the sensor. Mm-hmm. The top part of the image is coming off the sensor is over here, and then the vibration causes the middle part to be over here and down here, and you get this horrible effect in your video. So you overcome that by reducing vibration, but also by increasing frame rate um, on the camera. And that's where the three come, the Go Hero 3 comes in, because you can do 120 frame per second high definition with it. Yeah. So it helps a lot with that. But to me, the real key to fighting the wind and, and just bad piloting is uh, what's called a gimbal. And a gimbal is a little device that will hang on the bottom with the camera. So instead of the camera being mounted where you saw it, there'll be a little uh, mechanical sled that hangs under there and the camera's mounted in that. And as I said earlier, the controller that's in here is incredibly capable. It's it's the same one being used in a lot of high-end drones. Um, It has the controls in it already for driving a gimbal. So I'm going to wire that in this weekend. I've already got a gimbal on the way. Oh, Uh, nice. Okay. I'll get get to build it myself. It's going to be kind of fun. Um, and, uh, when you mount that on there and hook up the controls, what happens is as the craft tilts left or right or up or down in the wind or from your flight, it sends counter information to the servos that will move the camera the opposite direction. So as I nose forward with it, the gimbal will bring the camera up to keep it level. And as I nose, you know, nose up like this, the camera will be lowered. It does it incredibly rapidly. So as it wobbles in the wind like this, the camera to your eye will stay still because it will always move in an opposite direction to counter everything. So a lot of that wobble that's in my video right now, I can smooth that all out and get a lot more kind of sweeping cinematic style to it. I so love it. I love that, it. Uh, you know, for after the weekend here is... Uh, you know, I've, as, as you talk through this stuff, I mean, I, I'm seeing dollar signs ring up. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, there's some... the. It's it, it, at least until 2015, this might be torturous, right? Because I'm thinking, man, this would be great to shoot shoot some shots of my neighborhood here because it's a it's kind of a newer neighborhood. It's under construction. It'd be great to sort of see the progression of the construction. Um, but then I was thinking, what about like amazing sort of natural uh, vistas like the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls, right? You know, anything like that would be fantastic with this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sporting events, if again, if you have the right, if you have the permission to do it and the skill to fly it properly, I've got a blue million ideas of things I want to do with it. But again, I'm going to have to keep them all in the realm of just creative fun and not anything that I'm selling or promoting for the time being. Yeah. Um, I can see it now. Super Bowl 2015, drones doing flybys over the field. <laughs> I had one more element for you to look forward to if you want to build one of these is not only the gimbal, which I think is critical for a photographer, but uh, they also have what are called FPV kits, or first-person view, first-person video, however you want to say that. Um, It either taps into the GoPro, or in some cases you can mount another camera on there, a tiny camera with a wide field of view, which the GoPro's got plenty of, believe me. Um, 
What that does is it adds a second uh, little transmitter to the body of the plane at a different frequency that sends live video down to the ground and a pair of goggles, which you wear. And a particular brand of Fat Shark is really, really popular. So the goggles have another little receiver on them. So you look like kind of a dork with a little antenna and these, you know, these kind of Geordie things going on here in front of you. Um, but what you get from that is a pilot's view of the, of the craft itself. So that's where you end up with a situation that you can fly it further than you can see. Um, it, it's just kind of a VR kind of, you know, sense to doing it. But it does allow you to then fly out of your sight. So around a corner on the other side of the woods, behind something, you know, in places where you can't keep an eye on it otherwise, uh, you can fly it in those areas. I love that. I love that. Possibilities for incredible uh, photography and videography. So. Ugh killing me see every time we talk there's more money i gotta spend now i gotta go get one of these things where where did you buy yours from because i saw them on amazon where's a good place to get them from actually yep off amazon as well amazon okay awesome all right well aaron thank you uh thanks for uh for going through the the ins and outs of dronography and you we'll have to check in again after you get that gimbal and see how things are going and hopefully get a link Sure, there are plenty of your listeners out there that are already doing this or have been in RC planes and photography, you know, or, or, or multi-rotor craft for a long time. I'm, they're guaranteed to know more about it than I do right now. I'm enthusiastic and excited, and I would love to talk to any of them that are doing things as well. They, they could probably correct me on a few things I just talked about. So I love it. Oh, well, hey, if any of the TWIP listeners are out there already, you know, a couple of years into dronography, please let us know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you as well. All right. Well, cool, Aaron. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. See you. Yep. Okay, that was Mr. Aaron Mailer. You can uh, learn more about him by visiting his site over at halfpress, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Frederick, right. I was going to say that was an awesome yeah, interview. That was an awesome, awesome interview. Thank you. Did you did you like that? <laughs> Great stuff. Good stuff. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it was like within like two seconds there. Thank you. I know, it was good. All right, uh, it's time for the list. This is my favorite part of the show. Well, actually, Picks of the Week is my favorite, but this listener Q&A segment is pretty cool, too. This is when we get to answer some questions that our listeners have been uh, have had at the top of their minds. First question is from Dennis, and he wants to know, is there a simple way to explain how to work with aperture, sh- shutter speed, and ISO in harmony? So, basically, <laughs> how do you, you know, how do you work the dance of exposure and understand what's what in harmony. Which one do you guys want to take this? Wow. Thomas, all right, I'm going to throw it to you first. <laughs> all right, well, well, you know, you know, first of all, I'm the wrong person to ask because I've never taken my camera off that little green button. I think it's like automatic. Get out of here, whatever. No, I'm I'm <laughs> now, you know, Henry Cartier-Bresson said that the first 10,000 photographs that you take are your worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, in digital, I would extend that to the, your first 110,000 photographs you take are your worst. Mm. I, you know, I think the thing is to understand how aperture works and how ISO works and how shutter speed works and you know all of this, you just got to experiment with it. And, and I, what I would encourage everyone to do is to go into manual mode. You know, I, shoot, I shoot a great deal of my photos completely manually. And, um, yeah, remember that. That's just, that's, I'm aperture priority, and I thought I was, I was cool. And yeah, she'd have a priority sometimes too, but you know, sometimes you know the, the camera doesn't meter right, you know, and sometimes it doesn't expose right, and so you're shooting an aperture priority, and it's it's giving you the wrong shutter speed, so you got to switch, you know, go over to manual mode and get it where you want it. I mean, yeah. the beautiful thing with a digital SLR is you see the result basically right there in the LCD, right? So if it's not what you want, you can adjust. Uh, you know, aperture, you just got to learn the basics. You know, do you want a lot of depth of field? Do you want 
you know, the fuzziness, you know, you're not going to shoot a portrait of someone at, with a 50 millimeter F12 at 12 because you'll have their eyes in focus and their nose will be out of focus. Right. right. So, you know, you know, one eye in focus. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. So, yeah, this hair and this yeah. one's not. Yeah, yeah. So you just, you know, at the same time, you know, you're not going to, you know, if you want that creamy bokeh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, you want the cable car in focus and everything else around it out of focus and blurry, you know, you're not going to shoot that at F22. So, right. you know, you just got to learn to play around with what you can do with Aperture. And I think, I don't think there's any, I mean, certainly you can read articles about it and you could try to study it, but nothing beats just going out there and telling yourself, okay, today I'm only shooting manual. Yeah. I'm yeah. And I'm going to come back with a, I'm going to come back with a lot of stuff that doesn't look right, but I'm right. also going to get a feel for what my camera does at certain settings. Right. 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 So I just think you just have to force yourself to shoot manually, uh, you know, for a long time. And pretty soon, pretty soon it's just, you know, flip, 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 you know, you know what you want, you, you know, get the settings down just right. Boom. There you go. Yeah. But for yeah. different shots, you want different things. You know, if you want, if you want uh, light trails on a car, You've got your camera up against a light pole and it's steady enough that you can shoot a two second exposure, you know, then exposure is going to drive the shot, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to do something with depth of field, then aperture is going to drive the shot. Uh, so, I mean, you just have to figure out what you want and just, there's nothing like experience. I think you just got to. I, I totally agree. Mileage on that shutter finger. Yeah. Derek, Derek, what about you? I mean, do you have any magic rules of thumb for, for getting sort of affluent with aperture shutter speed and, and ISO? Well, I think just building on what Thomas was saying, you know, experience is the best. It's, it's you know, you just got to shoot. But I will say one thing, just keep in mind that one whole F-stop uh, on the aperture equals one whole shutter speed equals one whole ISO setting. Mm -hmm. So just remember, they're all one F-stop. So if you go from 160th to 125th, that's a stop. If you go from 28 to 4, that's a stop. 400 to 800 on the ISO, that's a stop. And, you know, once you get uh, a feel for that, then I think it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, do your juggling act. I agree. I agree. And also going into situations where you kind of, unless you're, unless you're in a situation where you're, you're doing photojournalistic type things where you don't know what's coming, but mm -hmm. if, you, if you're in a situation where you can kind of previs what's going to happen and you know that you're, say you're going to Yosemite and you know that you want to get a flowing water waterfall. So mm -hmm. in your head, on your way to that waterfall, you can sort of work out the math of, okay, well, sure. I need to, I'm going to need to put on a tripod and to have it draw on my sensor, I need a longer shutter speed, which means a, you know, my ISO is going to be this. So you can work out what it should be and have yourself in a starting place rather than just saying, okay, click, that didn't look right. And then yeah, yeah. Where the heck is my ND filter? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boy, this would have been a great uh, shot, yeah. you know. Are there any camera shots in your camera shops in Yosemite? Probably not. <laughs> but but it does get all of that does get easier the second ten thousand shots. It does right. get easier. It does yes. get easier. Muscle memory. Yeah. Okay, yeah. next question is from Harry and he says I remember, oh, Derek, I guess this is for you. He says, I remember hearing Derek's story talk about Micro Four Thirds cameras as the future, in quotes, and find this interesting, but I'm concerned about shutter lag. And then he goes on to talk about the body he's using and all that. So, Derek, what about shutter lag? And he's talking, you know, shutter lag, for the folks who aren't familiar with it, is the time where you see the shot that you want and you press the button 
to the time it's actually recorded the shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which tends to not be as fast on DSL on on Micro Four Thirds cameras as it is on DSLRs. Is that an issue for you, or is it, you know how do you well, reconcile that? Well, there's two things: there's shutter lag, and then there's AF lag too, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you need you need both both. So let's just say speed overall. Speed right? overall. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, if you go with the high end. Go with the high-end cameras. Uh, the, the the speed overall is is very good, you mm-hmm. know. And you know, there's nothing like trying a camera before you buy it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I know it's uh, I know it sounds wild, but uh, can you do that with can you rent Micro Four Thirds these days? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can, you, you know. But if you're if you're if you're thinking about making a switch, right? If you're going from something that you know, let's say your Canon or Nikon kit. To something you're not sure about, you know, get your hands on it. Get your yeah. hands on it and shoot with it. And then, uh, if you're concerned about performance, those sort of things, and go with the higher end models. Go with the uh, OMD Olympus or the, you know, the the GH3 from Panasonic or the Top Flight, you know, uh, NEX cameras. You know, go for the for the big guys. And yeah. then, uh, you know, read the test reports. You know, they'll, they'll tell you what's going on. But I'll tell you, there's nothing like putting a camera in your hand uh, and firing the shutter to, to tell you, you know, how it's going to perform. And then one other thing, don't put a, a, a 3.5 to 5.6 lens on it and then try to shoot existing light in a dark room and say this thing sucks. Right. You know, I mean, you got to use the same logic that you use with uh, your other cameras. Yeah. So Derek, Derek is, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Is mm-hmm. 2013 the year that Derek Story says goodbye to the DSLR and goes micro four No, I, I'll never <laughs> see. I love that. I, I love that all or nothing. Sort of thing I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious because yeah, it's yeah. never all or nothing, right? Oh, my God. I would never, first of all, I, you know, I, there are lenses that I have for you know, Canon lenses that I you could never do without. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so no, uh, what I like about 2013 and what I've liked about 2012 is I have a wider selection of tools now. Yeah. I don't have to choose between a compact camera and a 5D Mark II, right? I, there's, I got a camera in between. And that's what I love about right now is that I, I can really pick the right tool for the job for me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And and you can still geek out. Like, I'm geeking out with my new Hero 3 from GoPro. and. Not that I have anything that I ne- I needed it for, but I was in Best Buy and it was right there, and I had to get it. <laughs> Frederick, Frederick, <laughs> it was calling me, and I yeah. you know I, I one, felt one ninety nine. You know, it's what one ninety nine for that camera, two ninety nine for the. Which one did you get? I, I you know me, I had to get the GoPro yeah. black, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, with the yeah. remote control yeah, and all that. Yeah. So it was a little bit more than that. <laughs> it, it, it's the accessories that will get you on that camera. That thing is like an erector set. I got to tell is you, like an erector. Set. It's an it erector is, set yeah. for photographers. Yeah, it's like it all is. these little pieces and all yeah. this, which is cool because I had erector yeah. sets when I was a kid. That camera's just the beginning. Well, <laughs> uh, we can say that, though, I think, for a lot of different systems. I know. I know. It's, yeah. Even that quadcopter we were talking about. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's jump into the picks of the week real quick here. So this is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the listeners as long as it's related to photography somehow. Thomas? What would you like to uh, recommend to the Twip Army? Uh, I'm going to go first, and I'm going to recommend the new Drobo, the 5-bay, what is it, Mark, is it 5-D they call it now, I guess? Like the yeah, it's a 5-D. Yes. You know those guys at Drobo. I know them very well, yes. Uh, you know, I got one of these, uh, one of the new Thunderbolt Drobos probably a month ago. Wow, that's <laughs> cool. It's pretty cool, isn't it? 
wow. I mean, all of a sudden, I'll have 120 gigabytes to transfer over, and it's like five minutes later, it's done. Yeah, and you're like, is it? Yeah. it it's it's one of those things where it's like, is it really there? Or let me double check to make sure all my data is <laughs> over there because that's too fast, right? Right. It shouldn't take you five minutes to transfer 3,000 photographs, you know, over to the Drobo. And yep. so yeah, I bought one of these things. They're a little expensive. Uh, it's got five bays. I put in three terabyte drives in each of them for so 15 terabytes total, and I just love it. So I mean, That's I just uh, I, I this is my sixth Drobo. I've got a lot of other ones, the non Thunderbolt, but uh, with the Thunderbolt, the speed just blows me away. So I, you know, I love it. I love this guy. So that's the cover to it. I'll put it back on over here. It's got it on yeah. right now. Yeah, my Drobos. There's two, and I've mentioned this on the show before. There's two Drobo S's that power the Batcave here. Um, they're they're off in a closet, connected to a headless Mac Mini. And all it does all day long is run iTunes and serve up my iTunes library to all the Apple TVs in the house. And yeah. all the media lives on the Drobo. It's redundant. It runs Carbon Copy Cloner every night at 1 a.m. to mirror any changes that happen on Drobo A to Drobo B in case one bursts in the flames and we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all good. So, yeah, I, I love it. I'm a big fan so far. But, you know, the thing the thing with Drobos and, and the, the where they take the hit is – those things are bulletproof and they work great until they don't. And then when something happens, all your data is on that Drobo and the people get vocal. Because for well, some, you, for some reason, do. people don't like losing data. I don't know. What it no, is. Imagine that. Particularly when you're buying a device that's supposed to prevent it, right? Right, exactly. Uh, well, I'll tell you, because I've used them for years and years. I did have a problem once where one of my Drobos failed and I worried about that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, basically, I took all the hard drives out of the Drobo put them into a different Drobo, and boom, yeah. it was all there. Yeah. Well, that's, so, that, for me, that's the reason why I have two. Because, and I used to yeah. work there, right? So I, yeah. I have two because it's right. a hardware device with moving parts that's going to fail, period. You right. know, it's nothing, but, nothing lasts forever, fail. not even the sun, right? right? But if the device fails, you can still pull the disks out of the device, put them into you, another device. You can, you can, but not to, go, not to, to get too far down right. the rat hole, but certain things can happen where the whole drive pack is corrupted, right? Yeah. And, you, and you can lose everything, which... I've seen happen, which is why I spent yeah. the money to get the second Drobo in place. So if that happens to one, at least I can go back to the other one and I'm not dead in the water with all that data. No, that makes sense. Absolutely. No, you can never have too much. And, you know, the other thing with the Drobo, of course, is it's, you can still have a fire or theft or, you know, so oh, it's not yeah. foolproof. Totally. Totally. And I, bought, I bought a fireproof <laughs> safe and I put them in the fireproof safe at night. Oh, good, good. See, I don't do that. I'm minor sitting in my big closet. So, uh, <laughs> Derek, I know you're not a fan of Drobo, so let's, let's balance. This is fair and balanced here, like some networks claim to be. So, <laughs> where, where, you don't like Drobo, uh, so feel free, let loose. Why, why don't you like Drobo? Um, so, you know what, Frederick, I've been testing the 5D. For like oh. three months, yeah, yeah, and uh, I got. So you're the, back in the fold now. I got the I got the chip. Also, they have 64 gigabyte flash memory chip that goes in it. So you got that along with the Thunderbolt connector. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's fast. It is really fast. It's yeah. good. So um, yeah. So so far on the test, it's doing is doing well. It's uh, it's that same thing that you know that we talked about before, which is yeah. what if something goes wrong, right? But we can say that for a lot of stuff. So at the moment, um, you know, I would say that I think the 5D is the best machine they've made. 
Wow. Look at that. See, yeah. and that's a, that, yeah. that's a lot coming from you because you were a hater. It you is. were a Drobo hater for yeah. a while. <laughs> it is. It is it fast. Is. Isn't it fast, Eric? It's crazy fast. It's crazy yeah. fast. And uh, it's, it's a good machine. It's, it's, I mean, it's well built. And, uh, and then putting that 64 gigabyte chip in there with a Thunderbolt. And remember, the USB is USB 3, too. So, right, right. you know, it's not just regular old, you know, Uncle Fred USB 2 stuff. Right, right. Hey, don't hate on Uncle Fred. I'm actually Uncle Fred to some people on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) But Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt is boy, that's fast. I mean, maybe all Thunderbolt devices are that fast. I don't know because I haven't had very many of them. But well, it's interesting. I don't have any. I don't. I don't. The only I have a a Thunderbolt machine. I'm pointing like as if you can see it, but it's connecting. It's connected to my display, and that's the only Thunderbolt device I have. So I have yet to experience Thunderbolt speeds yet. So maybe maybe that Drobo is the way that I get into it. Well, you know, it's it's Thunderbolt's fast, and then you hook it to a five drive array, and it's still fast. And you're going, you know, what is going on here? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. All right, let's move on. Derek, what's your pick of the week? Okay, so I'm going to change. I'm going to see. Can we do this here? Can we get uh, flash air? Yes. I yeah. See it. Here we go. So here's the box that it comes in, so that you guys know what it looks like. So, and for the people listening to the podcast, Derek is holding up a box that says Flash Air 8 gigabyte on it. Yeah, you could probably put your little uh, scan reader right on that uh, right on that doohickey up here. And yeah, yeah. Go right. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, uh, I like this a lot better than iFi. And uh, the reason why I like it is because, like I was telling you before, it's a 8 gigabyte card. The downside is it's only class six. So if you shoot video, um, you know, I, you know, I like a little bit faster. But uh, for regular transfer for photos, it's not bad. Sets up its own Wi-Fi network. You can send it to your iPad, your iPhone, your computer, anything, anything that can tap a uh, that can open a web browser. Give me, give me a use case, Derek. With that, is that am, am, I'm a I'm a I'm a shooter. I'm a wedding photographer. I'm out and I'm shooting. Can I shoot directly to a laptop or yeah, yeah, you to can a computer that's in you know Indonesia or or what? Well, I I mean I'll I'll tell you one I did the other day. So I was at the Warriors game and I I take in the OMD and I put a, a Zeiss manual focus lens on it so I can, you know a, a, avoid getting hauled away and uh, and get some nice shots. I have the flasher go to my little iPad. They have a network there at Oracle Arena. So I just pick the shots that I want, and then I um, publish them up on Flickr or Instagram, you know, during, uh, well, during the timeout. That's, and, uh, that's insane. That's and, insane. You, you know, you couldn't get the shot with your iPhone, right? Because, you know, I need 270 millimeters to, to get that shot that I want, and plus, you know, I'm shooting wide open there. Yeah. But I can get that shot on the iPad, you know, virtually instantly. And, so, uh, so then, is eight gigabytes as large as it gets? Do they have bigger ones? Right now, this is it. They're working on a sixteen gig. They're working but, on. A but I would assume it's going off the card as fast as it's going on the card, right? Yeah. Now I notice that I, I will tell you this, Thomas. When I'm uh, loading it, when I put it in the SD card slot, and let's say I'm uploading Aperture or Lightroom, the card feels a little bit slower to me. Then let's say when I have my SanDisk, you know, extreme in there, you know right. what I mean? So the transfer, the transfer rate isn't as fast for everyday stuff, but, right, but, um, but theoretically but, you can send it to the, to your laptop and then erase that space and reuse it. Right. You could, you could definitely, I mean, it's kind of like an endless, assuming you have a big enough buffer. Yeah. 
like a limitless card, right? Yeah, and you can do all sorts of stuff with it. And then there's apps. You know, one thing that you can do, like uh, I shoot, I'll shoot, let's say RAW plus JPEG. I'll shoot smaller JPEGs, and then I set it up so only the JPEG comes over to the iPad. That's all I need at the moment, right? It's right. just the JPEG. And then I put the RAWs in, uh, in you know, in the computer later on. So you can play with it all sorts of different ways. It's it's like the what we're talking about, you know, with uh, all the other toys. You know, yeah, it, how do you, how do you you know the one thing with the iFi that I was that I always have trouble reconciling is shooting directly to a service like Flickr, right? Because right. I like to do things to my images before sure. I let the right. world see them, right? Absolutely. So with you're you're basically working without a net and you're shooting directly and letting the world see what you're doing. Not, not that not... you're a bad shooter, but it's almost like like sharing your negatives, right? No, I don't do that though. I just send it. I send it to the iPad, and then I and then I open it up in iPhoto for iOS or oh, okay. whatever. Okay. And, okay. and so that I do edit it before I send it up. Okay. So the iPad is your purgatory. So you go in there, you do your yeah. tweaks, and then from yeah. there you pump it out to whatever social networks. Okay. Yeah. I like use Photogene. Okay. Use uh, Snapseed. You know. Yeah. You know whatever whatever your thing is. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So I know I'm not sending it straight up. I mean, I don't think the world would appreciate that. <laughs> Just like uh, you know the shirtless shots. You know, we don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's keep those let's keep those out of the uh, out of out of people's minds, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> those are the all, you only send those to the wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. And even she doesn't like them that much. So <laughs> she goes, I already know what this is. Come on. <laughs> that, Derek, like we were talking about before, that's why you sent them to your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I kid. Hey, oh, yeah, I kid. I kid. Uh, that was before we go. I was telling Derek before we started recording, before you joined, that I've been uh, I've been watching this show on uh, Showtime called Game of Thrones. So I am in this misogynistic mode. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> that I'm trying to shake off, but that show is so misogynistic. It's insane. I love it. Well, just don't shake it off on me, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. We need yeah. the rim shake. Yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that show's going to have some. The actors from that show or something are going to be here in San Francisco in March. I think. Oh, really? Oh, I think cool. so. I don't know. I got a, some sort of an email today from HBO about inviting me to something or other with that. See, how do you get on those lists? So you're you're just in the in crowd. You're like you're like the, 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 the you're like the P Diddy of the photography world, man. How do you? S three San Francisco premiere season three San Francisco premiere Game of Thrones. It's coming up. Oh, that is so cool! Yeah, I'm I'm on episode two of season two right now, so I'm behind. Palace of Fine Arts is going to be in the Palace of Fine Arts. They're going to do what? episode two from there. Yeah, you got to oh, get on. So cool. I want to be on the list. Well, Please, I'll send it probably, to me. I probably can't even do it. I think I got my uh, son's Cub Scout thing, but I'll. I'll I will shoot. go and I will say that I'm Thomas Hawk, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will see if I can infiltrate the throne. <laughs> right. All right. So my my pick is um, I'm just gonna have to go with my hero. So I always try to make picks that are things that I just bought, and I just got the Hero Three. So I'm blown away by the quality of these things. I know I'm late to the game. People are like yawn, whatever. I've had a hero forever, but this is my first hero. So my first one was a Hero Three, and. I you know it it was a little challenging getting the thing set up because I had to install new firmware and it wouldn't see the the controller on Wi-Fi and all this stuff. But once I got it going, 
This thing is crazy. I stuck it to the hood of my car because it comes with the housing, right? I stuck it to the hood of my car and drove to where did I go? To Wingstop or something? <laughs> so I drove. <laughs> I drove just because I could. You know, I drove the Wingstop with this thing on the car and stuck there the entire time. Shot pristine, like cinematic video of me driving all the way there. So I'm like, okay. I got to use this thing for everything now. So now I have a separate bag that lives in the car with the GoPro accessory erector set so I can do stuff where I'm whenever there's like a wind tunnel or, you know, skydiving or bungee jumping or something. <laughs> so that is my pick. Derek, you don't have one? How can you not have one? I don't have one. I don't have one. My, You're uh, going to get one. I bet you next time we talk, you'll have it. Well, I have a couple of friends that have them, so I haven't had to buy one. I can just mooch. I'm there you go. In mooching mode. There you go. That's that's the best way. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we are running really long, so uh, let's let's close the show out. So, Thomas Hawk, where can people go to uh, find out more about what you're doing and the things you're connected with? You bet. Yeah, they can find me at thomashawk.com. Uh, I'm also on Flickr, Flickr slash Thomas Hawk, Google Plus slash Thomas Hawk, Facebook slash Thomas Hawk. Uh, I'm I'm all over the place on the web. So one day, one day you're gonna learn to just say, just Google Thomas Hawk. And That's you'll... true, right? Yeah, <laughs> Google Thomas Hawk. <laughs> Google Thomas Hawk and pick one of your top twenty-five choices. Exactly. You'll pick your pick your pleasure from there. Right. 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 Derek Story, what about you? Where uh, where can people go to find out what you're up to? Uh, go to thedigitalstory.com, and all that other stuff just flows right through there. Wonderful. And you have you have some workshops coming up soon, right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to do, we start in April. We start in April. So I got the book finished. I got a few lynda.com things finished, and now we go into workshop season. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, Yeah, we'll we'll have to have you on again real soon, Derek, because I want to talk about lynda.com and the the recent acquisition of Video to Brain and just that whole whole e-learning space, how it's heating up. And you're yeah. in the middle of it, so I got to put you yeah. on the spot with that too. Yeah, yeah. There, I was just—I just got back from Carpinteria uh, nice. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, love it. All right, guys. Well, Twib listeners, to keep up with everything in the Twip universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And remember to join our Google Plus community. We're on there. And if you want to communicate with us through Twitter, just use the hashtag TWIP, T-W-I-P, to chat with us. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.